Hey everybody, this is Martin and you're listening to Healing Together, a podcast that connects you to me and some of my amazing friends, where we hope that our stories will bring you comfort, inspiration and healing. I want to give you a behind the scenes view of people's lives, both the ordinary and extraordinary. And I think that you will realize that most often moving through struggle relies on finding a way to shine a light on some of the darkest corners of your heart. And through this, we can build strength and therefore remain open, kind and grateful. Hey everybody, I'm back. We are back. (laughs) Apologies for the delay in this episode. I usually record them a few days before and uh, get them ready for publishing on a Wednesday, as you will know. However, we returned from Cyprus very early Tuesday morning and we decided to end the holiday in a really relaxing way so we stayed over um, at this lovely place near the airport and got up around 10 11 and we went for this really lovely breakfast uh well it was yeah brunch breakfast um and then had a leisurely drive back over to shap uh sorted out a few bits at home and then we went to get the dogs had a chat with the lovely people who looked after them thank you everybody and then came home and i was going to do the podcast when i got in but then amram decided he was going to make a nice dinner and it just felt like i was putting myself under pressure when actually perhaps i should practice what i talk about on this podcast and in my sessions with clients which is about choosing kindness and responding to how you feel honestly and to be honest I was tired and a bit stressed about the uh, about the next day's sessions I had a really busy diary and I just thought you know I, I actually can't give the best of myself to um to this episode I hadn't really had time to digest everything and so um, I chose myself rather than you (laughs) so I hope that's okay Um, and it's definitely been the right thing anyway because um, I had one of my busiest days ever with clients yesterday and I felt like I had a nice clear head and was able to even my last session after a full 12 hour day it was a long day even in the last session I felt engaged and um, you know able to give my best to to my clients and had quite a pleasant day within myself as well and consequently that allowed me to consider some of the reflections uh, after the holiday and what some of that will mean and that's what I want to share with you today so um, so that's what we're gonna do So thank you for your patience and I hope my explanation of why the podcast is late helps you understand uh, why it was important to make that decision Um, because, yeah, I wasn't in the right place to do it and that's important for me and important for you. 
So let's hope that this particular show is a good one, <laughs> seeing as you've had to wait an extra day or two for it. Um, but I thought before we get into the the content of the session, I, I was thinking about uh, doing some breath work with you. And then while I was doing my meditation this morning, it came to me that I wanted to take you through a guided meditation, just a short one to begin with, to help us all land in the right place to be able to fully digest the content of this particular show and uh, yeah, just to, to feel calm and uh, get the nervous system regulated. So wherever you are, I'd like you to sit tall or lie down. Obviously, those who are driving, maybe save this for later on. And while you're there, just take a moment to notice your breathing. Noticing whether the breath is shallow in the upper part of your chest. Maybe you're able to feel that breath moving further down the lungs. Maybe noticing the belly rise as you take the breath all the way down into the base of the lungs. And as the diaphragm pushes downwards, that expands the belly. And then maybe you'll feel your chest rise, your ribs expand. And on the exhale, maybe a nice sigh. Just taking another couple of breaths here quietly noticing the quality of your breath, not judging. And if you can deepen it, then why not? I'd now like you to take your attention to your feet. And Start to visualize roots growing from your feet down into the earth. Like the roots of a tree are growing downwards and noticing how the roots from one of your feet starts to connect with the roots from the other foot, intermingling, growing around each other. And then as the roots grow deeper and wider, noticing how there are other root systems as well from other people, from other beings, from other plants and trees. Everyone's roots growing together down into the core of the earth, creating a really strong support system below. And as you take your next breath in, draw energy up from this strong support system all the way back up through your feet. Feeling held and supported by this strong root system as that breath moves up past your heart and out through the top of your head. And as you continue breathing here, drawing this energy up from the strong support system of the roots below you, start to... Now see roots growing from the top of your head, your air roots. Similar to the root system below you, almost like the branches of a tree. 
expanding upwards and outwards. And once again, you start to notice that your air roots start to connect with the air roots of other people, other beings, other trees. These roots growing upwards and outwards, all intermingling, supporting each other, going up and outwards towards the full expanse of the universe. And on your next exhale, drawing the energy down from your air roots, from the universe, from Father Sky, all the way back down through the crown of your head, past your heart, and down into the ground. Inhaling, drawing this supportive energy from Mother Earth and all of those who are on Mother Earth, through your heart, the center of your being, and going up your air roots into Father Sky, inspired, feeling the limitlessness above you, and bringing some of that energy down on an exhale through your heart and back down into the ground. Breathing with the earth and everyone on it, feeling this support through the center of your being, through your heart, and breathing with Father Sky above, connected above and below and all around. Just another couple of breaths here as you release the visualization of your ground roots and your air roots come back to the center of your chest noticing how your heart feels take in a nice refreshing breath in feel your heart space expand open and exhaling gently blinking your eyes open Okay, so it may not be lost on you that the visualization that I was using to inspire those words for the meditation is the same as the Healing Together podcast logo, I guess. That lovely tree connected below and above. And it's supposed to represent you and all around you. And as I come on to the the kind of the forward steps following the reflections from the holiday and and this healing together podcast you'll see why we chose the tree and the imagery as we expand what we're going to do with healing together so i'm excited to tell you about that i'm just gonna have a drink of my coffee mm. ah, nice so the holiday so I last spoke to you when we were just about to travel off on the holiday and I'd mentioned to you about how some of my ADHD symptoms had <coughs> arisen 
and being strengthened by the stress associated with preparing to go away and indeed the thought of going away to be honest for me because the whole traveling experience is not one that I relish um, nor does Amram and uh, yeah we definitely use organization to try and ease that process but I am always fully expecting that there'll be some conflict uh, before or just as we arrive on our holiday and uh, there was no surprises there. I will say that it was a lot less than we have experienced in the past. I might tell you about the 24-hour Morocco to Ibiza flight that nearly finished us just a year into our relationship at one point but uh, I, I won't go into that today but um, yes that was definitely the first introduction to how stressful traveling can be and it definitely uh, touches mine and Amram's edges of comfort <coughs> which usually results in conflict. Um, so what happened with this particular trip was we had a really relaxing journey down, uh, we took our new car which was really nice and it's really comfortable and then we got to just about where we were parking the car for the airport and uh, like near the airport and as we were driving down I Amram was uh, he was driving at this point which he never does whenever we're in the car together I'm always the one driving because I'm a terrible passenger I kind of push my feet into the footwell and clench my jaw and reach for the steering wheel at the the tiniest sign of any danger I'm looking to hold on and, and try and make everything okay and that um, doesn't go down too well with Amram's sense of being judged for his driving and when he's driving he definitely experiences road rage uh, which I'll come on to a little bit more in a moment. So anyway, we were driving towards the junction for the, the road on for the house that we were staying at. And I was on my phone trying to use the Google Maps, which is a bit more accurate than the new car's uh, navigation system. And Amram thought then that I was uh, on my phone to check messages or whatever, um, which he always does, actually, even if I'm doing one of the many other tasks that uh, smartphones are capable of these days. Um, but that's Amram's certain way of thinking and that he's always right, as I'm sure you will have experienced if you've listened to any of the previous podcasts. But in this instance, I was calm, collected, wasn't even that. Uh, triggered by his driving to be honest and uh, I said to him oh it's this one here but because I didn't give it in the perfect time that would allow him to consider his exit from the roundabout uh, straight away the, the hands grabbed the steering wheel the jaw was clenched he raised his voice you're not listening to me you're ignoring me blah, 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 blah. Uh, and I was quite proud of myself because I said, actually, that's not what was happening. I was checking a more accurate uh, navigation system because I knew that this road wasn't the one that the uh, the one that we needed to take wasn't the the one that the uh, sat nav in the car was 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 guiding us to. Um, and so it took him about five ten minutes to calm down. Uh, all the while, I was keeping inside my reaction to his outburst, which is very typical of me, and trying to adjust my behaviour so that I wouldn't further aggravate him. And uh, anyway, we, we got to the airport and once he calmed down and, and joined me in my um, 
more regulated state than he was. Uh, we then kind of came back together and had a discussion about what we were going to have as, uh, as a snack or a drink before we, we went on to the flight. And uh, everything was pretty smooth from then on in. So this, I this example is a one that I wanted to share with you because it's so typical for us in our relationship. And it's a perfect example of how conflict arises when we hit each other's uh, edges of comfort, you know, and, and consequently we then enter that fight flight state where all of those symptoms, uh, well, all of those reactions in fight flight come on. So the increased heart rate, the, the increased breath rate, the clenched fists, the clenched jaw, all of these physiological responses. And uh, it just goes to show how it's perfect, really, that me and Amram are together because what I struggle with in those instances is expressing how I really feel. And I tend to go into a kind of a shutdown. And that's where my kind of ADHD symptoms come up. I'll be focusing so much on trying not to react and just sitting still and trying to deal with the internal sensations that I'm experiencing which is exactly the opposite of him he tends to use anger as a way of dealing with the difficulties that he's experienced given any you know pushing of his edges um, and and this is actually very common uh, Amram's response uh, when driving so I had a look for some because um, I've talked about this with clients before about how road rage is very uh, typical for those who have experienced trauma of any kind, um, particularly childhood trauma. And I've used uh, the Depart U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs website, the PSD National PS PTSD National Center for PSD PTSD. God, I can't speak. And they say. One way of thinking is that high levels of anger are related to a natural survival instinct. When faced with extreme threat, people often respond with anger. Anger can help a person survive by shifting his or her focus. The person focuses his or her attention, thought and action towards survival. Anger is also a common response to events that seem unfair or in which you have been made a victim. Research shows that anger can be especially common if you have been betrayed by others. This may often be seen in cases of trauma that involve exploitation or violence. The trauma and shock of early childhood abuse often affects how well the survivor learns to control his or her emotions. And problems in this area can lead to frequent outbursts of extreme emotions, including anger and rage. And so when we are in a car uh, on a busy road with lots of people, uh, there is this sense of danger inherent. But what happens is people in the um, kind of illusion of safety in their big metal box feel that they can act in ways that maybe they couldn't when they were more exposed uh, to dangerous situations. And so all of this collected anger that's repressed and sits beneath the surface until it's triggered comes up. And, you know, being in a car on a busy road is the perfect place for this to happen. And I believe this is what happens with Amram, which is uh, very uncomfortable for me and and 
what it does is because I don't use anger as a, as a survival instinct when I'm feeling threatened, I tend to go into myself. It just exacerbates both of our trauma responses and can lead to a great deal of disconnection. And so our work overall is trying to use each other and how each other have learned to respond and to bring a bit of balance to each of, of those responses. So for example, if I can step into a more kind of dynamic response, if you like, so be able to say in a raised voice to him, almost like match him, but not, not in a competitive way, just try to get towards him, then he can often feel heard and seen and uh, I do wonder if his anger response is due to the fact that that wasn't the case earlier on in his life. But I'm just um, supposing that for now because it's not fair to speak on his behalf. Um, and so it kind of gives him what he needs. His anger response is saying, I don't feel seen or respected here. And if I can meet him somewhere along the lines, then what usually happens is that he does feel seen and he can step into taking a more considered approach where he focuses on himself and his behaviours and learns to bring them more in line with how he'd ideally like to be, which is actually what generally happens if I don't become so overwhelmed by whatever's going on that I just stay silent and disconnected. And that's very much, um, that's very much what I do. So our kind of one of the, the the great things about our relationship is that we provide not only a mirror for each other but also inspiration for how we could perhaps alternatively deal with some of the um, the pushing of our edges <laughs> so it's it feels a little premature to be saying that I'm grateful for our conflict um, but I am I am and I, I do maintain that view um, obviously trying to be strong in myself and know that this reaction is valid and uh, remember to be kind to Amram knowing that the reason that he is uh, kind of aroused in that way is because of a struggle that he's having and trying to be open to different ways of doing things rather than just slipping into these readily available responses and then you know the, the gratitude bit comes afterwards because hopefully we have been able to see each other more clearly take a different perspective and um, come back together with a broader repertoire of responses that have been practiced in the safety of this relationship which I do you know we, we do feel safe with each other um, but it just goes to show even with that knowledge when your edges are pushed you go into defense mode that leads to disconnection and then there goes the conflict so um, yeah and you know this is as we're about to go on holiday it should be a lovely time right um, and don't get me wrong, we had a brilliant time uh, overall. But these these moments of conflict, you know, can come up irrespective of the situation. It's more about how the situation can create stress in in your being, in your body, in your emotions, your mind. And it's about recognizing that and trying to work through it and bring yourselves back together. And uh, we do that successfully sometimes and sometimes not so much. But I will say there was probably only three or four instances of that while we were away, which, yeah, was really good. And uh, 
So we um, we had the flight and everything was was pretty easy. And when we arrived in Cyprus, uh, we were met by this wonderful woman called Marine. She's French, Marine. And she uh, texted us all the way. She was kind of like a concierge for the apartment. She owns the apartment, but she, um, she, as the apartment owner and uh, the, um, I've forgotten what they're called, host. Uh, <coughs> yeah, that's what it is through Airbnb, isn't it? A host. Uh, she takes this to a whole new level. And so the communication before, during and after was just outstanding she could never do enough for you she was always asking how we were doing checking in kind of preempting some of the struggles that we might have had while we were there and offering potential solutions and it was she was just a delight she had this real um kind of uh, enthusiasm about her. Uh, she collected us in in this lovely car, and she said, "I've I've got you some shopping." She she asked us what we wanted before we got on the flight, and so there was some lovely cold rosé wine. Being French, she understood it needed to be dry, of course. Um, some bread for the morning, and some vegetables and uh, meats and cheeses and things. And, oh, it was just perfect. And she, she had this little car waiting for us, so we didn't need to bother checking in with some bloody awful airport um, taxi uh, car hire company. Why? Why does it take so long to hire a car? You give them the information beforehand. They then want to check it all with you. You have to sign about 3,000 bits of paper. Why is it not better Oh my goodness. And well, this has been one particular point of conflict for me and Amram when we, um, <coughs> excuse me, when, oh, excuse me, <coughs> when we've been on uh, previous holidays and I, I just won't do it anymore. Um, however, in this instance, I messaged her and said, oh, would it be possible to get us a car? And of course, being Marine, she said, yes, absolutely. Um, I will collect you from the airport and the car will be waiting for you. Please send back a signature on this document. And um, I already have your uh, driving license and passport details for ID. So we're all done. That was it. Oh, my God. It was just perfect. So all of this care and attention, this preempting of our needs and being prepared with solutions, this light attitude and enthusiasm, this real passion for wanting to make sure that we had the best experience possible. It was just another level. She, she's just really wonderful. And uh, she explained to us that her husband is a footballer in Cyprus and she'd moved there to be with him. And I imagine that she doesn't need to work uh, for financial reasons, but she said that she it was for her to have a purpose and she was very passionate about travel and making people have uh, a very different experience to what she had experienced when she'd been renting places and dealing with hosts of venues and what have you and she's just yeah she's brilliant I, I just loved her uh, she made it so easy 
Um, and so, yeah, she was a massive highlight of, of the hotel, of the hotel, of the holiday. And, uh, yeah, the car was great because, to be honest, most days I would get up and do my meditation. And then Amram would roll out of bed and make his food while I was doing that. And then we would just potter about in the lovely apartment that we had, uh, watching the sun come up. And then probably would go down to the beach for a couple of hours, maybe have a little cocktail. Um, some days we would drive off uh, to different parts of the island, go to different beaches. Um, visit. We visited Nicosia, which was really nice, and went over the border into the Turkish side, which is really cool that you could travel from one country to another just walking over this little line and it became so different you know it was literally like we'd stepped into turkey uh and yeah so that that was lovely oh we had a nice hammam experience there um i had to wait so long in the sauna part that i ended up looking a bit like a prune um and the um the masseuse came in and kept me some water because uh being typically british i didn't respond to the fact that i was almost dehydrated and said you know why is this taking so long i just sat there and waited um but it, yeah you know there we go uh, that's what we're like uh and oh what else did we do uh had some nice food uh some nights we just stayed in and, and watched films once the sun had gone down and uh, ordered, um, well, there it was Walt, which is kind of the equivalent of Uber Eat or something like that. And uh, that came, that, 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 you know, the, all the local restaurants uh, provided this service. So we got to eat some lovely food in the comfort of our own apartment and watch some films. So it was really nice. It was just lovely. Um, and as I say, minimal conflict because, you know, we were calm and we were in a lovely place being cared for and caring for each other, switching off from all the pressures of life. So it really was a, a holiday. It was lovely. And uh, in terms of some of the things that came up for me whilst I was away, in my meditations, just while I was relaxing on the beach, um, but also when we were watching films. Uh, there were two films that we watched while we were away, and they both kind of unsettled me quite a lot. And the I'm not going to go into the detail about the films or the particular instances because it's something that I think I probably need to take to my own counselling or maybe some other form of therapy. Um, but it's definitely revealed more to me about why I respond in the ways that I do when I feel unsafe in some way. This, um, this kind of hyper-focus on things, this not being able to... It's almost like a version of putting my hands over my ears and curling up into a little ball and just trying to make myself be okay. That's kind of, that's how I react. And, and, and a lot of the, the symptoms of my ADHD uh, arise as a consequence of that. And the two films, I mean, Amram, you know, he likes to watch quite severe, violent, gory films, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't those. Uh, one of the films was quite a happy-go-lucky film about a woman who travels abroad, uh, back in the, the 80s, I think it was, 
so all of the imagery um, definitely reminded me of my early childhood and, and some of the the kind of the subplots that were going on just showed me some information about my past that I hadn't really seen in, in the same light that I did while we were away and some things just weren't okay <laughs> uh, about some of my earlier childhood. Now I consider them through the lens lenses that I have now and definitely explain some of why I might have developed some of my survival strategies uh, when, when in struggle. And all I can say is I had a real care and compassion for that younger version of me who was probably just doing his best to get through some difficult situations. And because, you know, those responses were formed at such an early age, they almost created like a blueprint for the rest of my life. And I continue to respond in these ways later on when perhaps it wasn't as helpful. And <clears throat> certainly in my relationship with Amram, when I view the relationship that he has with his mom and and how he is in himself when he is pushed to his edges, it, it shows me that maybe some of the ways that I respond can be adjusted and the the mirror that he holds up to me just by being who he is it it tells me a lot about myself and Amram's quite a taskmaster you know when he says to me stop making excuses you can do better than this you know it feels like I feel like a scalded child and I don't want to I don't want to do it I just want to tell him to fuck off and I work very hard on who I am and how I am and <clears throat> and yet you know some of these points that we come to in our conflicts it it tells me uh more and more that these are things that if I can pay attention to them and indeed do as he says um <laughs> but perhaps if his delivery was a little more regulated which we're working on then I might be able to hear it differently. And, and, and in the meantime, I have to practice that for myself. And so I do want to move past some of these responses. And that fits in really well with my intention for my 40-day uh, commitment to my meditation, which I'm doing with the lovely Kelly McClellan from Live Life Yoga. And that was definitely, you know, we're, we're coming towards the end of that now. I think we're on day... We must be moving to around about day 27, 28, something like that at the moment. And it's at this point that I really feel that the intention around this commitment is coming together. This idea of being disciplined with myself to be able to essentially heal through some of my ADHD and, and, and be able to uh, respond to the world around me differently so that I can... Uh, move forward free of, of some of these ways that, that do cause me struggle and Amram is you know is a key part of that and I will you know I'll reiterate because he's he's not a bastard and he's definitely not unkind but when his edges are pushed through some of my behaviors it uh, it shows me that this this you know, my ways of surviving, much like his um, readily available anger response to, to his edges being pushed, you know, mine is to go into this shutdown. And actually, 
it would be better for me to be able to acknowledge this and acknowledge the problems that my shutdown causes me in the world um and you know my relationship is 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 a safe place for us to keep working on that because i know that if i do choose different ways of responding it will be more helpful for our communication and it also means that amram can if he chooses to uh he can start to work on his own responses and and you know bring those into a more comfortable place for him and hopefully those around him which he has been doing actually so um, but anyway, enough about him. Uh, this is about me. <laughs> and uh, so one of the things that I felt was very important to let you know as a consequence of some of the uh, the realizations that I had while I was on holiday is how my early childhood uh, shaped me and who I am. And uh, these uh, extra realizations that I had while I was on holiday will definitely need some work i imagine i will do that on my own in in my meditation but i think uh i think particularly because of some of the content i will be exploring this with the support of somebody else professionally and i reckon that will be through talking therapy so um i will keep you updated on that particular journey and uh, it's also maybe an interesting point to make right now that whatever I talk about in this uh, on this podcast uh, from my own story will always be something that I have worked on and, and worked through. Um, I don't think that it's appropriate that this is a place for me to um, to sort of glean therapeutic benefits from because I mean, I do in the sense that, you know, just being heard is, is therapeutic, but that kind of sense of it being um, a therapeutic process where I work through difficult things for myself, I, I don't think that that is appropriate, certainly right now. And uh, so I will take this away and I won't be sharing all of the details about it. And I, I might never, but I don't think that I will be talking about the specifics until it's had some um, exploration by me in a in a bounded and um, in a very safe place so that I can get the best out of uh, facing some of these things that I realized. Um, however, something that I have worked on in therapy is a really important instance from my early childhood which I think gives um, is a really great example of, of why I might have developed some of the ways of responding to difficult sensations that I have. And while I am grateful for them because they allow me to do the work that I do now and make me uh, a part of, of, of who I am in being a kind and caring and warm, attentive person most of the time, uh, you know, it was difficult for me. And uh, as, as with anything, you know, where there is extremes, there is the potential for ill health. And my kind of making myself safe, that kind of shutting down, that, that hyper focus on something um, isn't always the best thing. Uh, if I channel it and use it effectively and and and, and you know in the safe space of, of therapy then yeah these can be great skills but left unchecked uh they can cause difficulties as i have described to you with amram earlier um, and can disconnect me 
from important people and conversations that would be really uh, comforting for me rather than struggling as I do sometimes. So uh, I was going through a period of therapy when I started my counselling training I think it was in the November of 2013, if I remember correctly. So I'd just been in the training, on the training for a few months at that stage. And I was going through this period in my life where I was dating and I was continually being, air quotes, rejected. So I was, at that stage in my life, still very much... Uh, holding the belief that you put your best foot forward um, at the beginning of dating. And what I would do is uh, have no problem um, attracting people at that stage. But then when it came to me starting to express my needs, deeper needs, kind of more emotional stuff, I would find that they would run a mile. And it was like, hang on a minute, I've put all this work in and now when I want something, you run away. How awful. I must be so unlovable as this person. Maybe I just need to work harder on hiding my real feelings, I guess. Uh, and um, there was a particular stage where this was all gathering pace and I ended up taking a week off work, actually. Um, or maybe I uh, worked from home and uh, <laughs> air quotes again, work from home and actually didn't do any work because I cried all week. Um, so I often refer to this as my omelette week. And uh, the reason being is that as part of my ADD, I can get obsessed with food uh, in terms of like I will eat the same uh, menu item <laughs> uh, menu item like same dish uh, like every day um, so what one such time was when I decided that I was really into omelettes I was having an omelette every morning anyway so I called this the omelette week because it was a week of emotional despair in which I had three counseling sessions to try and figure out what the bloody hell was going on with all this rejection stuff and why it was breaking my heart so much. And I would wake up in the mornings and I always slept well um, until last year, actually, when we went through this horrible uh, experience with a business. Um, but prior to that, I'd always slept well, even if I was going through emotional turmoil. So I'm very grateful for that. And I would wake up in the morning and I think, oh, OK, today's not going to be one of those days. I'm going to get some reprieve. Maybe it's over, you know, maybe I'm going to start feeling better. And I would go downstairs and just as I was waking up, I would crack my eggs into the bowl and then uprises all of this awful gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching emotion. The tears would start to flow and drip into my omelette, providing a, a natural seasoning <laughs> due to the saltiness of the tears. And, uh, you know, there I was uh, for the rest of the day, just that kind of <laughs> crying. And I knew something was kind of needing to leave my body, like some uh, some seal had been broken and uh, the floodgates were certainly open and was processing this in, in therapy. And so I found myself with my counsellor. Uh, lying on her floor kind of was I lying or sat I think I was sat by the sofa kind of hugging myself I, I may have laid down um and you know in that kind of position you know that brace position and eyes closed and just wanting it to be over but it feeling so intense and and not wanting her to see but 
obviously, you know, being able to hold on to a sense that I uh, am here to explain to her what's going on for me so she can help me with it. Mm. And uh, what, what I remembered in this moment, which was definitely um, transformational to, to realise uh, where these reactions were coming from, was a time when I was around about three or four and I was at uh, nursery school, nursery school, nursery, and um, my mum had come to pick me up. And at that time, I'm pretty sure that I was aware that she was agoraphobic. Uh, I certainly was told about this later on anyway. And uh, agoraphobia is kind of a fear of social situations, um, crowded places, being outside, and is a form of extreme anxiety. And the, uh, I guess, the, the defense against the, the difficult sensations associated with the anxiety is to stay inside and kind of avoid situations. And um, that was one of many coping mechanisms that my mum had developed over her lifetime another one which I'll talk to you about in a moment and uh, I don't think it's appropriate for me to share the details of what might have been difficult for her because it was her story but it was something that had gone on in her early childhood that she had had to kind of keep down and find ways to cope with and uh, her agoraphobia was definitely a symptom of, of doing that and so anyway she she had to come and collect me from nursery um, because I was small and couldn't get the bus home on my own um, which as I tell you more about this I kind of did um, and I remember we walked up the hill from the nursery school and got on the bus and or as we were getting on the bus I recall her explaining to me where the police station was which was down another hill and uh, if she wasn't okay, that's where I needed to go. Uh, so I can't imagine um, really fully, although I can feel it as I'm talking to you now. But, you know, how... I mean, it's really amazing, isn't it, that a three-year-old can process that and and kind of say, okay, then that's what I'll do. Um, but I, I, I know myself, I, at that age, I was frightened of the police. Uh, I'm pretty sure that... Um, I heard my dad talk about if you ever steal we'll take you to the police station um, and yeah just kind of having a sense that this was a scary place to go to and never mind that if something was wrong with the person who was supposed to be caring for me and taking me home what, what that would mean it must have been so frightening uh, and how I felt in that counselling session that day I, I very much had connected with those feelings and, and expressed them I'm not sure whether I've stuffed them back in a bit more now, um, but I, I have an awareness of them anyway and how they operate, so that'll have to do for now. Um, and yeah, because I guess she was extremely anxious and thought that she was going to pass out and wanted to make sure that if she couldn't be there for me, that she'd at least prepared me for what I needed to do. And so we got home. I'm not sure how I would have felt on that journey home. Um, maybe relieved that we'd got on the bus and maybe the bus driver would have looked after me or something. Um, but I certainly don't remember having a conversation with her when we got home about how how that was, uh, my expectation of a, an emotionally aware parent is that they would sit down and say that must have been very difficult for you tell me how it was try to validate my feelings let them pass through and offer some reassurance and comfort 
uh, maybe praise me for for you know for being brave something like that um but that wasn't what happened uh what is what happened is that i was sat down in front of the tv i think i remember sitting with my back to the sofa or something which is maybe why that uh, scene in the in the counseling room was so um it was it was so kind of i was so easily able to connect with the feelings because it kind of represented some of what was going on at the time of this this trauma and uh, I watched Rainbow with Rod, Jane and Freddie. I had my pie, uh, maybe kind of happy, I'm not sure. Um, and uh, certainly um, my mum my wasn't there. She had gone upstairs to uh, maybe make herself feel better in, in, in one of the ways in which she did. And uh, came downstairs and we just got on with the day. Um, so I did what I'm very good at, which is contain my feelings, uh, act as if nothing's wrong, or do my best to do uh, to to um, to try and communicate that, um, and just you know shove all the feelings down and uh, and try to just keep it all inside, maybe focusing on doing that rather than noticing what's going on around me. Um, and yeah, that was, it was really difficult to, to connect back to that experience and to remember it, you know? Um, and of course all my questioning of, well, did that really happen? Have I just imagined it? But, you know, I now know that our perception and the story that we give the experience that we had, whether it's the exact truth or not, is is not really as relevant as the fact that it informed how you learn to behave and respond. And that was my experience of that particular instance. And there, you know, it, it makes sense, doesn't it, that that would be a way that I would cope with difficult sensations of being overwhelmed. And uh, it worked in that instance, you know, we later on probably went for a walk or something or did some cooking and we were all back to normal. So it worked. And, and I guess I still use that to this day automatically uh, until I perhaps have a mirror held up to me and um, uh, get told that it's quite disconnecting uh, in terms of when other people are around me when I'm in struggle, Amram particularly. And so, you know, it necessitates... Um, different responses to keep that connection going and be fulfilled in relationships but it worked for me then you know it kept me connected to her and that was very important for my survival at that time um so I became really good at this and uh, another time that I remember was when I was 14 and I had a part-time job and my mum had had uh, quite a lot of health issues uh, now we know uh, related to some of the pain that she was holding on to. Um, she kind of had like a whole like uh, nervous system breakdown and spent a great deal of time in hospital when we were growing up. And me and Claire had to fend for ourselves when we were 13, 14 um part-time jobs and uh you know my dad was away had to work so uh, we had the older siblings kind of around and living in the house some of them so we weren't left alone but um yeah we definitely learned to look after ourselves 
And when she returned home, she was recovering uh, after being in hospital for, oh goodness, I think it was like three, four months or something. Um, and everything was sort of back to normal. And there was one night, it was the bank holiday, Monday in August. And I remember about three o'clock in the morning, my dad screaming and shouting and it woke me up. And so I just went into survival mode and sucked up all my feelings and went straight through. My dad was in a total panic, not knowing what on earth was going on. And my mum was having a fit in bed and she'd started to swallow her tongue. And so what I did was, I think I probably like said to dad, just be calm or something. And I got straight onto the ambulance and well, to 999 and then they got an ambulance to come and uh, they, um, they helped me to work on getting a tongue because she was swallowing a tongue um and you know the ambulance arrived and everything ended up being okay um so i went back to bed and the next morning we didn't really talk about it other than dad said that i was amazing and calm and you know praised for all of this and off i went to work i think at like 10 or 11 o'clock and i remember having this feeling of of shame about it happening and so definitely didn't tell anybody uh, just wanted to go to work and pretend everything was normal and and I did and it you know it, it wasn't hard to do because it was such a well-rehearsed mechanism probably developed from quite early on uh, and you know I think uh, as, as I look back on that now you know it, it must have been really difficult and I feel that it was um, again I may have swallowed some of that down still after revisiting it but I'm aware of it now I'm aware what shaped my behaviors now and that's so helpful because whether I'm aware or not these responses are there and they are there to try and help me they may not be helpful now but they will continue to, to be there keeping me safe or thinking that they're keeping me safe until I perhaps do some work on recognizing that they're there, why they're there, and being able to acknowledge when that happens in the moment and being able to practice new responses to change these pathways that my brain has formed, which then communicates to different parts of my body and that is definitely happening uh, over time. And I, I get to practice new ways of being very much as a consequence of being um, with Amram uh, because to remain connected to him, I can't be shut down. I can't just cope and get on because it comes with consequences. Um, and some of these aren't helpful, you know. So, um, but, you know, Definitely some of the ways in which I find that these ways that I developed are helpful is in supporting others. And I'm holding, uh, when I'm in a session with a client, all of my more natural responses to what they might be telling me or, you know, kind of experiencing with me in the moment. And it's almost like I always kind of put my hand up next to my left ear and I say, you know, this is my stuff going on here. And I'm holding that there while trying to allow uh, the space for you to be whatever you need and to tell me whatever you need to and express whatever you need to. And sometimes I will use this stuff on my left hand side, but then kind of on my right hand side, I've got all of my theory and the process of the person centered approach, which is about offering that client unconditional positive regard, i.e. no judgment, 
um, congruence, which is, you know, it's been fully present and, 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 and fully myself whilst also uh, prioritizing the needs of the client. So that's kind of where I hold my stuff and the theory together, um, but still share with the client my reactions and explain where they're coming from. So without doing that work on what shaped me, I, I would have no idea where they come from and I would, they would just be ruling me in that session and you know I would be shutting off from the client which obviously isn't isn't why they're there <laughs> um and ultimately the the first two conditions that unconditional positive regard and the congruence is all about being able to empathize with the client of their true experience of their world and what made them the way that they are and where those things aren't helpful being able to recognize what can be done instead and develop some new ways so not unlike the environment that uh that i experience in my relationship with amram yes of course it's 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 less bounded and there's all different kinds of levels of intimacy involved and, and other pressures so it's a much more um random uh approach to healing through some of these ways um but, you know, this is this is how it works. And so what I went through there, I would never take any of that back because it made me who I am. Some of that is helpful and some of it is not. And it's so important to pay attention to your past and, and what shaped you because, you know, there's a wonderful quote that if you don't own the story, then the story owns you. And I feel like by paying attention to what, what made me the way that I am, I, I get to own the story, use what's helpful and try increasingly to put down what's not and start to develop some new ways of being, which for me is kind of the definition of, of growing up emotionally and uh, reparenting myself in the ways that unfortunately due to whatever struggles my mum was going through that she wasn't able to parent me according to all of my needs and um what once kept me safe uh now isn't needed anymore but that that's work that I've got to do with um on my own with my therapist thankfully in my relationship with Amram um and not turning away from these challenges which is so much about what ADD is about you know that kind of focusing in on one thing because the other stuff is unbearable um so I look to what is unbearable what was once impermissible and find ways to um, allow it and work with it and use it to thrive and that that's what happens so I'm excited about these other realizations of some difficult experiences that I had when I was younger things that shouldn't have happened and, and have consequences now um, but I'm grateful that they've come up for me and I think, as I said to you in episode eight, the one before we went on holiday, this usually happens for me when I take a break, when I step back from the demands of life, that the, um, the difficult stuff rumbles from within. And I'm so grateful that I understand the, the reasons why looking at that can be liberating, um, difficult, of course. And I'm not going to say... Um, despite you know it's it's because it's difficult that I am able to support people so yes this is some work that I've got to do um, and that leads me on to the last part of, of today's show which is talking about some of my other realizations not 
not just relating to me, but how I want to use this Healing Together community and brand, which I really struggle to use that word because I don't want to be commercially minded due to some limiting beliefs that I uh, formed in my days working in the bank. But I'm rethinking the idea of of being more commercial about this um, this brand and, and this community that you're part of because that's a way that I can spread the word about what we're doing and so I'm using some friends and some models to be able to try and expand how uh, the to expand the benefits of this podcast and like I say the community and 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 and, and using the brand the healing together brand to really get the message that we are stronger together through sharing uh, genuinely and openly and bravely our stories and how we have responded to them and what we're doing to try and heal through that so we can help each other. And to that end, I wanted to share with you uh, some of the projects that have been rumbling around in my mind uh, pre and, and during the holiday. Um, but before I do, one thing that I wanted to share with you that really inspired me in terms of uh, having confidence around the fact that healing together using each other's stories rather than perhaps just working with people on one-to-one therapy would be something that would be helpful is um, an article that I touched upon uh, in the last uh, in the last show before we went on holiday from therapy today the July August uh, of this year's issue and in an article around uh, navigating complex grief, U.S. family therapist, academic and writer Dr. Pauline Boss talks about taking this different approach. And she says that the result of everything that we've been through collectively due to the pandemic and how that has reminded us of other grief and losses in our life, she stresses that we have widespread anxiety and sadness and she says that anxiety and sadness are normal reactions to abnormal situations and of course we've had an abnormal situation going on for three years now and the treatment for such sadness is human connection her aim with her book is to encourage people to recognize that they are resilient that they are able to come through such losses by drawing on their own and others' strengths and support. She says the counselling profession is very much needed for people who have depression and are suicidal and so on. But for the rest of us, what we need is psychoeducation. I believe it's important information that will help people to cope with the natural stress that comes out of an unnatural situation. There are long waiting lists for professionals and we need to know that not the entire population needs to go into a therapy room. There aren't enough therapists to do one-to-one therapists and nor can many people afford it. So you need to give out psychoeducational material so that they can help themselves and each other. Additionally, at CRUISE, the the National Bereavement Support Society, Clinical Director Andy Langford says... That there is a danger that by siloing off grief support into an expert domain, 
that we disempower the confidence and capacity of communities to support each other. Cruz has very recently launched a project to explore how you establish a bereavement-friendly and compassionate community. They are piloting uh, in five locations in the UK, running for the next 18 months. Cruz has also redesigned its website and is making more use of social media to provide grief information about understanding grief to the wider grief community. Ordinary folk who are interested in both how they can cope better with their own bereavement and how they can support others through social media. So these two quotes from that article have given me a lot of confidence in how I believe we can use the Healing Together community to create therapeutic benefits and healing to help people you know, understand themselves through the stories of others and find inspiration, comfort, um, which is so important, you know, that safe place to be able to then hear these other perspectives is essentially what happens in the therapy room. But we can do that for each other. And so my two projects that I'm currently working on offering through the Healing Together community are going to take the form of support groups and they will be offered online with me facilitating them and using my skills as a therapist and as a yoga teacher and some of the other practices that I, um, I, I work with. And I'm going to offer these support groups in two really important areas to me. And the first probably won't surprise you is an ADHD support group. And the way in which I propose to offer this support group will be via online two-hour sessions, probably, that will be recorded so people can participate in them as a viewer um, and, and, you know, receive the benefits through simply observing and uh, reflecting upon the content as well as the stories of others. And people will, of course, be able to attend these live and in these sessions, there will be two segments, and the first will focus on psychoeducation. So that is sharing information about ADHD, about all of the different facets of the, the disorder, um, being able to help people understand what goes on on a physical level, and being able to share certain practices and for those practices to be offered on the the group support um then the second section will be almost like a, a group therapy session where people will be able to hear others talk about their experiences and certainly I will be there to provide feedback and reflections and, and offer different perspectives but I'll be predominantly there to facilitate the group supporting itself and those members within it and really trying to bring to life some of this um, that I've talked about earlier on from the article in Therapy Today this idea that with a little bit of guidance and education, communities are more than equipped to support themselves. And this is, this is how we need to now work on some of the issues that are you know, taking over our communities and 
what people are really struggling with. You know, the waiting lists for the NHS can be a year, two years. And, you know, this, uh, this is a really important time where people could actually be making forward steps into helping themselves and, and their relationships. And, and yet these, you know, these really long waiting lists are, are meaning that the symptoms are just getting worse and the effects are, are worsening. And so I feel that we really need to take some action here. And of course, I still will be working as, as a counsellor, you know, that, that, that I, I want to keep doing that. But I, I have this real strong urge to help more people. And this was absolutely what my intention was for this podcast. And I'm delighted that that is coming, um, the, 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 the hows the different hows that this podcast can support people are coming into view for me now. And so I'm really excited to be able to share with you how this ADHD support group will be offered. I imagine that it will be through a subscription uh, because, of course, I need to make a living. <laughs> um, currently, uh, the podcast isn't monetized and, and I'm not keen to do that, really. I want to use it as a platform for us all to help each other. But because of my time investment away from clients, I will need to make sure that that time is valued. Um, it will be cheaper, definitely, than one-to-one -one therapy. That is something that is very important to me. It will be significantly cheaper than one-to-one -one therapy. And I will limit the group sizes as well to make sure that it's personalized enough, but then big enough for everybody to be able to benefit from um, from others and their stories and their input. So there will be more news to come on that towards the end of this month. And I'll probably be looking to start that in the new year um, for the ADHD support group. So this is one of the projects that I've been conjuring up lately. And uh, the other one is a support group that will act a bit like supervision for therapists. And it will take the form of the ADHD support group in the sense that we will be uh, meeting once a month for around two hours, for, for two hours. The first segment will be about psychoeducation, talking about all the different aspects of being a helper and what that looks like uh, in terms of theory and, you know, some discussion around that. But also the second half, again, will take the form of a group therapy session where people will bring stories about their work as a therapist, clearly protecting client confidentiality along the way. So that, that will be a consideration while I'm coming up with the, the hows that this will be offered. But it will be um, very similar to the type of group supervision and personal development that I uh, took in and benefited from when I was doing my counselling training, where you can bring examples of the struggles that you have as a therapist and have support from the group and from a facilitator who can hear what you have to say and, and provide some guidance using the rich knowledge from from our own lives as as therapists as helpers and just to clarify when i talk about therapists as helpers i'm not necessarily referring to other talking therapists i'm actually more interested in expanding this out to those uh, therapists those helpers who don't have a place to go to who are out there working alone 
uh, without their community around them who can empathize with their position and provide guidance from their own lives. So I'm thinking of massage therapists, energy healers, yoga teachers, fitness uh, instructors, personal trainers, extending it to um, to hairdressers. Actually, hairdressers are essentially counsellors without any counselling training. And I know a lot of hairdressers who actually struggle with how they um, take on a lot of their clients' difficulties. You know, when, when you're massaging somebody's head, you are working with such a lot of nerve endings and it relaxes the client. And when they're relaxed and they feel safe, they open up. Um, it's usually a time-bound experience going to the hairdressers and so there's a safety within that they know that there's going to be a beginning and an end they know that it is somebody who cares for them who's helping them feel good about themselves so I'm really interested in trying to open up this therapeutic uh, sorry this therapist support group to as many people as possible who find that their work in helping others is is burdensome for them and that they maybe don't feel comfortable with the impact that that's having on their lives and also maybe not feeling confident enough with how to create boundaries for themselves so that they can do their job that is definitely healing for their clients but also is safe and comfortable for them as the therapist and I've got some really uh, important knowledge and, and uh, theory to share with people. But actually, as I've talked about a lot in this show, it's really important that we help each other to help ourselves. And therefore, we're then able to help others again. And this symbiotic relationship, you know, just like the roots of the tree in the meditation at the beginning, you know, we are all connected to each other below the surface and in terms of our relationships with each other. And we can influence and support each other in ways that we might not even be aware of and I have so much to 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 share and and so much enthusiasm for how we can all help each other and so I'm really excited to um, continue to grow what this podcast uh, offers and to help and support even more people um, one of the other things that's also cooking um, in mine and Amram's minds at the moment is a healing together retreat, uh, which will take the form of the retreats that we normally offer, but actually looking to expand the different types of therapies, practices that are on offer to a wider range of people and uh, being able to bring even more people together to participate in these retreats and that's something that we're really excited about offering and as I say we're, we're doing the research now around that so yes there's lots of exciting things to come um, I, uh, I feel very inspired by my breakaway uh, refreshed ready to continue sharing those things that have helped me in my life and to find comfort, um, peace, inspiration, fulfillment and, and offer those back out to the world 
because we're all here to guide each other home to that place of peace and fulfillment and I'm just so delighted uh, that you have all been supporting this podcast and, and my work, you know, prior to the podcast. And I hope that we can continue to grow and grow and I'll do everything I can to ensure that and that it's done in an ethical um, and fun way so that we can enjoy this process together, um, this process of healing together. Well, it is now 11.38pm and I have had the most stressful evening where I, for some reason, couldn't use this fucking garage band application or whatever it's called. <laughs> I made the most stupid error in uh, closing off this master track or some other shit um can you tell how pissed off i am <laughs> so i was hoping that when amram came home he would be able to resolve this with you know a couple of uh clicks in, in certain places that would make it all work so that i could get this very delayed podcast out to you in the time that i promised and he came home with a huge carrier bag full of mushrooms that he'd forest, foraged at the Centre Parks Forest. I don't even know if he's allowed to do that, but anyway, I, I can't be asked to check with him. Um, and so he spent four hours cleaning, <laughs> cleaning those mushrooms and preparing them and putting them in vacuum bags and all this shit. And for that four hours, I became extremely overwhelmed and uh, I think I actually said to Amram at one point, um, I can't even speak because I don't know what I think or feel and uh, took myself off and what did I do? I went to the shop. Um, I couldn't make myself any dinner because he was doing all this stuff with those bastard mushrooms, uh, which I'm sure will be lovely. Um, and then about half an hour ago, he came through and uh, he clicked one button and everything worked again. <laughs> okay, anyway. It's done. And all of that content that I recorded hasn't disappeared. So all is well after the click of a button. And I will let myself off for the fact that I didn't know that that button needed to be clicked. I guess I even clicked it in the first place. Didn't know what I was doing. Never mind, never mind. Okay, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, post-holiday reflections show. And uh, I think actually a bit of my overwhelm was because I really shared uh, some stuff that is difficult for me. And uh, maybe I was feeling a bit sensitive about all of that as well as tired because I've worked really hard these last couple of days. I think I've got a cold coming on and I haven't eaten because of the, the mushrooms. The mushrooms. So, anyway, thank you for listening. I hope you've had a laugh at my ridiculousness of this evening. Um, I have a wonderful guest who is going to be on next week's episode, uh, episode 10, woohoo! And it's, uh, I'd um, referred to 
Bethany last time, so it's Bethany Demelza who is going to be talking about grief, loss, addiction. I'm so excited to share her story with you. I don't know too much of it myself, but I trust uh, in who she is because of the time that I've spent with her. And uh, that episode will be coming out earlier than Wednesday. I'm going to give you a treat after all the bullshit of today. Um, because I also have two other episodes which I'm recording over the next few days and I'll be putting those out in the next couple of weeks. So some really exciting guests coming back. Thank you for persevering with these solo episodes of mine and my musings on the world, my life and all of these different things and some of the problems that I encounter which make me hopefully even more equipped to support you. I am uh, here genuinely being congruent with all of the shit that I deal with and trusting that it makes me better at what I do, that I am better at supporting you because of the struggles, not despite them. But listen, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to bed. So thank you as always. Big love to everybody and please get strong in whichever way or ways that is meaningful for you. Stay kind open and grateful. I don't know if that was the right order. I'm too tired. Good night. Love you all. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.